0: Romans chapter 14, this is a sister chapter, I say, to 1 Corinthians 8, and Paul continues to deal with the subject um, of how Christians are to live with one another, especially when they disagree with things. And so I've sort of named this particular study, how is a Christian to walk with reference to Christians with different views than they have, especially concerning what we call doubtful issues. Another way we could look at is how to disagree without being disagreeable. The chapter deals with those who are weak in the faith. Now this is very important. He's not dealing with those who are morally weak. It's not dealing with those who are involved with sin. When the weak is mentioned here, he's talking about those who are weak in the faith for whatever reason. Maybe they're just young Christians, or maybe the older Christians who haven't grown. By the way, you know the length of time alone that you're a Christian doesn't determine whether or not you mature. It's what you do during that length of time. That's why it's possible for some Christians who have been saved fewer years than others to be more mature than those who have been saved for a longer period of time. It depends on what you've done during that time. All right. And so the question here in this chapter is not about things forbidden by the scriptures to be wrong, morally or ethically. Rather, the passage deals with things that are in themselves neutral, without intrinsic moral values or qualities. In other words, the thing in themselves are not necessarily evil. This pulpit isn't evil. But if I take this pulpit up and bang you in your head with it, I'm using it for an evil purpose, right? You see what I'm saying? So just because I take this pulpit up and beat Alan on the head with it, doesn't mean that all pulpits are evil. It might mean all Alan Lee is evil, but not all pulpits. You understand? So he's talking about things that are in themselves neutral people call it amoral alright so let's look at the scriptures then verses 1 through 3 first of all we have the problem stated and it begins by giving us a command here's a command to be obeyed accept him whose faith is weak without passing on disputable matters my way my version puts it this is a command we are to have full fellowship with other Christians who hold views differ, different from ours on matters that are not specifically spelled out in Scripture. We have to have full fellowship. Now that's quite a statement because we have people today who believe that Jesus Christ is coming before the tribulation. We have Christians who believe is coming during the tribulation. We have Christians who believe is coming after the tribulation. And many of them don't fellowship with one another. Well, some would say, boy, that's clearly taught in Scripture. Is it? Is it? Some of you who are dispensationalists say, yeah. And that's why you don't fellowship with non-dispensationalists. Because you, can't believe, you, can, you just can't fellowship with people who believe that crisis can allow us to go through partial tribulation period. This is the kind of things he's talking about. Or, you can talk about in a moment, what kind of clothes to wear to church. How long should a woman's dress be? How short should a man's hair be? That's the kind of things he's talking about. How short is short. You'll see that in a moment. What Paul is saying is here, hey, if the scriptures are not clear, we should not separate ourselves from those people. That's what he's saying. Notice he says, accept. Now that's a powerful word here. It means to take to oneself with tenderness or compassion. In other words, without hostility, without any hard feelings, we are to embrace the person who thinks differently than we are thinking. Now, is that easy to do? Is it easy to do? No, it isn't. very difficult. That's why God commands us to do it. If it was easy to do, He wouldn't command us to do it. Why? Because we'll do it automatically. You'll find that most of the times we are commanded to do things is because it's hard to do. One of the chief ones is, husbands love your wives, wives be submissive to your husbands. Those are commands, because they're difficult to do. Now notice it says, who is weak, whose faith is weak. Now again, I want to emphasize, this is referring to those whose convictions kind of wobbles uncertain on certain issues. He's not talking about a permanent defect of character or doctrine. He isn't saying that this person has everything wrong. He believes all error. He isn't saying that. It's just about these or this particular item or issue. He has something that differs from your belief on it. He isn't talking about person is an apostate or anything like that. It's just that he thinks she has a view different from yours on something that is not clearly taught in scriptures. Then he says without passing judgment. Now this is where a good word study comes into play here. The word in the rituals means that without arguing or having any kinds of vain reasoning, no debates. We are not to enter into useless debates over these issues that the Bible is not clear about. That's what he's talking about. Don't entertain getting into arguments. It's going to cause divisions. Then Paul tells us the kind of... That's the action. except. Now he tells us the attitude. One of the things you must notice for in the Bible, whenever God gives us a command to do something in action, He also tells us the kind of attitude we must have in doing it. Notice verses 2 and 3. One man's faith allows him to eat anything or everything, but another man whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. The man who eats everything must not look down on him who does not. And the man who does not eat everything must not condemn the man who does. Why? Notice, for God has accepted him. Please don't go over that too quickly. Why should you not accept someone fully whom God has accepted fully, just as he is? Are you better than God? That's Paul's implication here. For God has accepted him. The principle is, anyone God has accepted, we should do what? Accept him also. The issue here is not eating meat offered to idols, as we saw in 1 Corinthians 8, but with the conviction of some that there is an an intrinsic sinfulness in some foods, but not in others. In other words, this food is just wrong in itself. Like pig feet. Yeah. <laughs> See? That's just wrong. Yeah, that's wrong. <laughs> I remember when I took my grandson to China, he used light Chinese soup. But then we went to the market and this section of the market was called uh... items for soup <laughs> items they had some of the biggest cockroaches I've ever seen spiders you, I mean, and all of them live, you know, these things ain't dead Solly Kini, said, I will never eat Chinese soup again. I guess you all know I can eat it now either. But So he's talking about the idea that this food is just wrong, there's something intrinsically wrong with this. So Paul is saying believers of either persuasion, either side are not to disrespect, to reject or condemn the one who has a different view if the scripture doesn't condemn it. The one who eats everything in this passage is by implication the strong believer. The one who eats only vegetables according to this passage is the weak believer. They are to accept one another, why? Because God has accepted each one of them with their different positions. Now as we go through this the same way it was this morning, some of this is going to be hard for us to accept because this is not natural to us. We want to go the way of the flesh. Paul is telling us how to go the way of the spirit. Strong in the faith, like this morning in 1 Corinthians 8, has to do with knowledge rather than degree of spirituality. What we know does not necessarily determine how spiritual we are. I mentioned before, Paul commended the Christians at Corinth at the beginning chapters for their knowledge. But they weren't spiritual. They weren't spiritual. They were not acting as spiritual people, so knowledge is not sufficient. A strong Christian in this context has his head on right but not necessarily his heart. His head is in the right place, but his heart is out of joint. On the other hand, the weak Christian has his heart right, but not necessarily his head. Neither must condemn the other for his or her conviction on these biblically gray areas. That's what Paul is saying. However now, The implication is that the greater obligation is on the strong. The greater obligation is on the strong. They know and they know that the weak don't know. However, the weak does not know. But they don't know that they don't know. You got it? You got it, Don? All right they know, the, that's the strong, and they know that the weak don't know but the weak does not know, but they don't know that they don't not know. But Paul says, in this case, the strong must be the one to exert the kind of spiritual attitude with the action of accepting. Now he goes on to deal with some of the principles In this area. First he talks about the principle of freedom in Christ. Verse 4. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To his own master he stands or falls. And he will stand. That's the week now. For the Lord is able to make him stand. In other words, do not usurp God's prerogative to judge his people. When you do, you're taking the place of God. Are you following this? Paul is quite clear on this. Paul is talking about family relationships here when he's talking about servant or slave here. He's talking about family relationships. For either the strong or the weak Christian to condemn the other is to sinfully usurp God's right and prerogative to judge his own children. That's not our prerogative when it comes to these gray areas. That's between the individual and God. We cannot take the place of God to condemn people for things the scriptures are not clear about. So when it comes to biblically neutral matters, we are answerable only to God for our behavior, for our service, as a result of our convictions. We are not responsible to each other. That's what he's saying. Now if we act as though others with different views than ours are answerable to us by condemning them and censoring them for their stand on neutral matters, we are assuming the place of God. But you know what it says when we do that? You know who's going to help the person? God. God's going to help the person that we condemn it. And boy, let me tell you, if God is against you, you're in plenty trouble. Now, verses 5 and 6, he says something else. One man considers one day more sacred than another. Now notice he's going from food to days. One man considers one day more sacred than another. Another man considers every day alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind about these things now. He's not talking about things that the scriptures are clear on. He who regards one day as special does so as to the Lord. He who eats meat eats to the Lord for he gives thanks to God. And he who abstains does so to the Lord and gives thanks to God. As well. In other words, he's saying in these verses, follow your convictions as to what is pleasing to God. You cannot live my convictions and please God. In other words, if you're only going to do what I convince you to do, even though you are not fully persuaded in your own mind, it is sin. I cannot live your convictions. That's what Paul is talking about here. Follow your convictions as what is pleasing to God, but don't condemn the others who are doing the same thing. That's where the sin comes in. Now look at the phrase, fully convinced in his own mind. Now there's a lot here. You know, if we had a long time for Bible study, word study, this this is a rich study here. Fully convinced in his own mind. Notice the word, fully convinced, absolutely, thoroughly. It carries the idea of leaving no room for the least hesitation. No doubt. We arrive at a conclusion as before the Lord. And followed through with it as to the Lord giving us that conviction. Are you following what I'm saying? That's why I've used this illustration before. Some people have a problem with it, but this is what I use. If I'm encouraging somebody to do something, and they tell me that, I'm sorry, but the Lord didn't tell me to do that, although I feel it's right. And that if they do this, is wrong. But they tell me they believe God is telling them to do it and is not clearly spelled out in Scripture. Do you know what I tell them? How can I help you to do it? Why? Because they're doing God's will as far as they're concerned. Several times people have come here who says they're going to leave Calvary Bible Church. Say, Okay tell me why but let me ask you one question first is this God's will for you is God telling you to leave Calvary Bible Church? they says yes this is God's will God is telling me to do it and then I shocked them I say tell me how I can help you to get out of Calvary as quickly as possible why because if it's true and I'm trying to keep them what am I doing I'm fighting against God. If they're fully convinced, that's what Paul is talking about here. But you see, we don't like to do things like that. It is so clear-cut, so black and white. But that's what Paul is talking about. Notice what he says. For, you notice that word for? In biblical interpretation, that gives the reason for doing something. For, because of. For he give Thanks to God. He gives thanks to God. In other words. That's why the person is doing what he does. To please and honor God. He's thanking God. That's the key. That's the key. He's doing it to honor God. Paul makes it clear. The next verse I can read. That. It is important for us to do what God, we feel God convinces us to do. Notice what he says. Four. this is another reason, none of us lives to himself alone, and none of us dies to himself alone. He's trying to emphasize our relationship with God. He's telling us we must recognize our true relationship with God. Notice, if we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. The idea is we don't belong to one another in these situations. For this very reason, notice now another four. For this very reason Christ died and returned to life so that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. What is he saying? He's saying that Christ's lordship over us is attested to and guaranteed by his resurrection. We are in subjection to Jesus Christ alone because of his death and his resurrection. Implication is, I didn't die for you, and you didn't die for me. So you don't live for me, and I don't live for you. Paul says, you live for the one who what? Who died for you. That's the reason why we live. To live for the one who died for us. If we're only living for ourselves, You better check to see whether or not we understand why we've been redeemed. You should live for the one who died for us. Then he goes on now in verse 10. And the following verses say that we must each give an account of our own actions before God and not before one another. Notice what he says. Now, let me interject it. This doesn't mean that we're not accountable to one another, mind you. the the other scriptures deal with that he's talking about these issues about uncertain things what we call grey areas that's what he's talking about you then why do you judge your brother see now don't take this out of context Paul just isn't writing this in the vacuum he's writing to people who are doing these things he's answering the questions that they were writing about and he's talking directly he's not pulling any punches here He's talking to them. You then, why do you judge your brother? They were doing it. Or why do you look down on your brother? For we will all stand before God's God's judgment seat. Notice, we will stand before whose judgment seat? Not each other's judgment seat. As it is written, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me and every tongue will confess to God. Who's he talking to? Who's he talking to? He's talking to Christians. See, normally when we read these verses, we only look at the unsaved, we only look at everybody finally being forced about it. No, 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 no. He's talking about Christians needing to subject themselves to the lordship of the one who died and was raised with them right here. And when we do that, we will not be judging one another because that's up to the one who died and was raised again. Paul is teaching us how to live practically by giving us doctrine. So then, each of us will give an account for the other before God. Did it say that? Of himself. Of himself. Now here's a little twist to that, and for us as pastors though. The writer of the book of Hebrews tells the leaders that we have to give an account to God for those we lead in the congregation says, we watch, they watch for your soul, how? As one. Nobody knows that? They watch for your soul as those who have to give an account. That's why he goes into, that's why Peter picks it up. Not Peter, James. Not many of you should what? he teaches because greater is the condemnation but in this context he's saying hey we are not to condemn, to judge to sit in judgment against another in areas that the scriptures are not clear on both the strong and the weak when they judge each other is wrong because only God can do this and he is going to do it in his time not in our time then he gives us now another principle what I call the principle of giving no offense look what he says instead make up your mind here's a mindset make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in your brother's way in other words, ref- make up in your mind right now that you are going to refrain from judging others in neutral matters. You're not going to judge them. That's the kind of an attitude we should live with. Is that easy? No way. I see we could get into talking about all, what does this mean? About Some will be brought up in a minute, so let me go through it before I go into other words. Now, Paul is probably talking here to those who call themselves strong. And he's commanded them to use their freedom, their knowledge, their liberty, only in accord with the law of love. Don't use it arrogantly or in a boastful way. But like Paul mentioned in 1 Corinthians 8, the royal law of love. The free man is able to waive the use of his freedom. Yes, we have the freedom to do something. But we also have the freedom, what? Not to do it. All right, let me get all y'all angry now. I had the freedom to drink a beer, you know. But I, have, I also have the freedom not to drink it. All of my family trying to get me drinking. Every time I go to the party, they do everything in the world to try to get me there. Everything they try to sneak it, you know, everything in the world. But you know something? If I take just one sip of a beer at a party, my testimony and reputation to all of them would go down the drain. Now I could drink it; wouldn't do anything else except cause my face to get red. but it could destroy my testimony with those people. You understand what I'm saying? That's what he's talking about here. The freedom to do it, but you have also the freedom not to do it. Now he says in verse 14, recognize the source of defilement. Notice, as one who is in the Lord Jesus, this is Paul, he's speaking from the point of being strong, I am fully convinced that no food is unclean in itself. Now boy, you want to hear some twisting of scripture, listen to the seventh day. Notice this here, no food. They can find some food. I'm telling you, not only them, other people too. They can find some food. I am fully convinced that no food is unclean in itself. But if anyone regards something as unclean, then for him... It is unclean. It is unclean. For him. Not because of what it is, but because of what I think it is. You understand? Defilement is not in the things themselves. Jesus taught that is not what goes inside. A man that defiles him. Didn't you say that? It's what what? Comes out. So it's not something the strong must give up, but rather something in the conscience which says he should give it up. He doesn't have to, but to the strong, you should, because of what it could cause in the life of the weak brother. The weak conscience can make something unclean, which in itself is not unclean. So what does Paul say? Relinquish your rights. Give them up. You have a right to give up your rights. And so he says in verse 15, walk in love, not arrogance. Listen to him. If your brother is distressed because of what you eat, you are no longer acting in what? In love. You're acting with arrogance. Do not by your eating destroy your brother for whom Christ died. There's that word again, the idea of destroying. Doesn't mean sending to hell. He's talking about Christians. He's talking about destroying his lifestyle as a Christian. His witness, his testimony for Christ. That's what he says in verse 16 don't destroy your testimony notice do not allow what you consider good to be spoken of as evil watch your testimony don't destroy the unity of the spirit verse 17 for the kingdom of god that is a wonderful verse is not a matter of eating and drinking but of righteousness Peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Now, the kingdom of God is the sphere of our salvation. He's not talking about the kingdom that Christ says he's going to set up. He's talking about our living in the sphere, as it were, of Christ. Christ Christ-likeness. In other words, eating and drinking is not what really makes up our lifestyle. As a Christian, what is it? Righteousness doing what is right before man and what is right before God. Peace. See, righteousness has to do with holiness. Peace has to do with tranquility. We need to be fellowshipping with one another, not fighting over things that are not important to the kingdom. And food and eating is not important. That's what he's saying. And joy in the Holy Spirit. You see, fighting over these things takes away joy, takes away tranquility, takes away our doing what is right. We don't have the control of the Spirit of God. And he says, therefore, in verse 18, we should maintain the approval of both God and man. Listen to him. Because... Anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and approved by man. When we live according to the law of love and not knowledge only with a concern for the other brother or sister we please God and we are approved of man. So Paul gives a conclusion in verse 19, much more, but time is gone. Let us therefore make every effort. See, this effort. It, it, this ain't no let go and let God. This ain't you no know, let go and let God. This ain't no stand still and see the salvation of God like we like to use out of context. No, no, no. Make every effort. This is work. Make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual notice this building up love builds up do not destroy the work of God what is the work of God? what is the work of God? in his context who is the work of God? huh? huh? What did you say? Alright. No. The work of God is you and me. The work of God is the Christian. Paul talks about we are the workmanship. The work of God is the Christian. The one Christ died for. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All food is clean. But it is wrong for a man to eat anything that causes someone else to stumble, trip him up on his growth. It is better not to eat meat or drink wine. Now Paul is not saying it's wrong to eat meat. And he isn't saying it's wrong to drink wine. Now many of you all think it is. Although you sneak a little... <laughs> sneaky a little bit in the night, what they call it, you know what I mean, you don't tell nobody, you don't go to the show here, but boy, it is better not to eat meat or drink wine or to do anything else that will cause your brother to fail. Here is the primary concern, the growth, the spiritual growth of our brothers and sisters not to prove that I know more than you. So, whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God. And that's hard for Bahamians to do. That's hard. Because boy, if I believe, I might want everybody to know that. Blessed is the man who does not condemn himself by what he approves. Did you get that? This is good for me. I'm going to do it even though I'm going to stumble that Christian over there. I condemn myself by that which I approve. The freedom of the strong is affirmed. The need to give up his convictions about his freedom, but he is to refrain from exercising it when it is detrimental to others. This, the happiness of the strong is knowing that he has freedom, not exercising that freedom. You understand know, The happiness, the joy of the strong is knowing that I am free. The joy is not in exercising it. Because the best thing may not be is not to exercise it. Verse 23. The man who doubts is condemned if he eats. Now, in the context it means if he eats because he's persuaded by the strong person. Because his eating is not from faith. Actually, it means that the eating is not from his faith. The eating is from the strong man's faith. You understand what I'm saying? Trying to live the conviction of somebody else. And everything that does not come from faith is sin. Now, faith is believing the word and obeying the word. That's it. Then, verse 1 We who are strong ought to bear the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Wow! The strength. Of a strong man is being weak for the weak man. Isn't that something? Now, when I say being weak, it's like Paul, all things. So that's what he's talking about. Each of us should please his neighbor for his good. Notice now, to build him up, build him up, not to puff up ourselves with knowledge that I can do anything I want. I don't care. For even Christ did not please himself. As is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. And he didn't retaliate. So Paul gives us a strong admonition here along with First Corinthians 8 that the royal law of love towards our brothers and sisters should be the bottom line attitude in our relationship to them. Stop arguing and fighting over things that don't matter in the kingdom seek for righteousness seek for peace seek for joy seek a way to demonstrate your love for your brothers and sisters in that way Paul says we please God and we have the approval of man as someone once said Selah think and act on these things. The Lord bless you, we are finished.